0: I was just talking with Brian. Those who don't know you, what they what they do with their worry and their anxiety. It is possible for worry and anxiety and fear to become so powerful that uh, it 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 chokes us. It suffocates us. Um, we can hardly breathe sometimes because of the uncertainty of situations in which we find ourselves. Um. And and we really deceive ourselves if we think we can handle the uncertainty by ourselves. This is why so often you take us and you break us down. You take strong men and you have to break us down because if we think we are strong, we are really living a um, delusional life. Uh, there are some things we can control, there are decisions we make every day, and we want to be disciplined men, and we want to be wise. So we are responsible for, for the things that uh, are on our plate, the decisions that uh, you have put in our lap. We want to handle those, we want to handle them well. But so much of life, the great majority of life, is is way, way out of our control. Completely, Totally. Absolutely. And every once in a while, you will allow something to come into our lives that reminds us of that. It can be a, a report from the doctor. We can't control the cells in our body. We, we can try to be wise in our health, but we can't control those things. We can't control the weather. We can't control the nations. We can't control crazy... Um, narcissistic uh, people, dictators, we can't control them, but you can. We can't control the economy, but you do, and you oversee uh, everything that's going on on this globe and beyond this globe. Uh, The Lord is in his heavens. He does whatever he pleases. His throne is in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. We thank you, Lord, that you are in absolute control. That helps us because um, sometimes it feels like our lives are out of control. We, we have uh, seasons where we wonder how we're going to make it through the day. We wonder if we're going to make it to tomorrow. Uh, we're not really sure about the following week or the week after that or the week after that sometimes. But we thank you that you are there. We thank you that because we are in Christ, we are the apple of your eye. We thank you that because of the fact that Jesus is our Savior, because we trust in him as our shepherd, we we trust in him um, for our salvation, and we trust in him for our daily provision and for our health and our care. We thank you because we trust in Jesus and that He is leading us and He's going ahead of us and that He is behind us and to each side of us. We thank you that we have special privileges and there is a special love that is upon us because we are in Christ. Not that we're better than other people, it's just that we receive your grace and mercy and your loving kindness. And it never ceases, it never ends, it never stops. Even when we mess up, even when we do dumb things, even when we sin, And and do it again and do it again. We come back to you and that grace and mercy and forgiveness is there. So we come to you tonight. We have nowhere else to go. Encourage us. Give us truth tonight so that we can go home and sleep. And not be uh, anxious throughout the evening. Give us rest so we can do our work well tomorrow when we get up. And we thank you that when we get up, you'll be there for us with new mercies and new kindnesses. For the guys that are struggling, encourage them tonight. For the guys with broken hearts, may they know that you're with them and you understand. We would ask, as I do almost every week, that you would give us tonight what we need. Not what we want, what we need. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, we are working our way through a, a study that's based on a phrase out of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. And uh, it would be good to review that uh, compact little verse where Paul is bringing uh, to a conclusion his letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter to them. There are four little bullets in that passage in 1 Corinthians sixteen, 13. We're kind of focusing on one, taking it as our theme. What's up, John? We have a set of keys that was left. Uh, it's a Toyota. It has a picture of a little boy. Looks it's a like Toyota. You. It's got a precious moment in on it. It's, um, yeah, if those are your keys, we've got them. I'll be right here in the back corner. And John will be right over there. And if not, we're driving off of that sucker. <laughs> and someone's going to win the, uh... do we do raffles in this church? <laughs> I don't think we do that, do we? We do bingo. We do anything like that? I don't think we do that. Huh? Is it a Prius? Is it a Prius? Oh, you want a Prius? Ah, I'd go back there. He'll work a deal with you. All right. Where are we? Doesn't take much to get me off track. That's why I had trouble getting out of high school. I'm back to you, Darvish. Uh, if you weren't here early, you missed that. Uh, I'm back to David's Clydesdale. David has a Clydesdale, but once again, I have to get a running start to where I was in order to find myself. We were in 1 Corinthians 16. Who was the guy that left his keys? Because you really screwed me up. <laughs> Be a man and stand up. Take it like a man. No, I'm kidding you. First Corinthians 16:13 13, four bullets. Here's what it says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. So we are doing this study on what does it mean to act like men. The reason we're doing it is that we all sense that we've got somewhat of a crisis in many different areas of our lives in this country because we have gotten quite a distance away from the truth of God's Word. And whenever you get away from God's Word, whenever you get away from, um, from the Word of God, whenever you get away from the Bible, you get yourself in a heap of trouble. Um, whenever you get away from God and from His truth, you lose all common sense. You lose all reference point. Any of you guys use GPS? You know, you hit that little thing on your Every once in a while, I'll get a, a little message on my iPhone. And by the way, where is my phone? Because last week it interrupted me twice. It's in the car. That's where it ought to be. Um, I'll get a message and it'll say, use your current location. See, GPS, in order to help me out, GPS has got to have a reference point. Um, when you get away from God and you get away from God's word as an individual, as a a husband and wife, as a family, uh, as a nation, when you get away from God, you have lost your reference point. You don't know where you are. You don't know where the North Star is. Um, Thomas Watson said, some men are shooting stars, and some men are fixed stars. I, I really like that. Some men are flashy. Some men uh, are very winsome. They walk into a room, and they just sort of light it up and draw attention to themselves. Uh, they're like a, a meteor that goes flashing across the, the evening sky. But... Uh, you know, they're here and then shoo, they're gone. And they flame out. That's not the kind of men we want to be. We want to be fixed stars. Um, if you're lost and you were taught basic Boy Scout navigation, uh, if, you're on a, if you're on a raft in the middle of Pacific, you can figure out where you are if you know basic navigation. Why? Because some stars are fixed. Um, we have lost in this culture... We've lost uh, the word of God, therefore we've lost our north star. We've lost our fixed stars. So this is why we are dealing with this whole issue of what does it mean to act like a man? Because when you get away from God and you get away from his creation and his intentions for men and women and for families and for marriage, we're all over the map on this stuff. We've lost our minds, we've lost our common sense. It, it is, it's insane what's going on. The things we're talking about, the things we're hearing, the things that are being voted upon, the things that, so the Supreme Court, so I, I, okay, great, great. We've lost our North Star. Even when it comes to masculinity, even when it comes to femininity, there is tremendous confusion. So that's why we've been talking about this stuff, because it has ramifications for everybody in this room. It has ramifications for, for boys. It has ramifications for girls. Girls are going to need... Uh, Boys to become men so they can marry them. If, if, if a man is, is going to be productive in life, uh, the vast majority of men, uh, there's a gift of singleness, there's a gift of celibacy. God doesn't give that to most men. Most men, most men uh, should be married. You should have kids, you should be productive. That's kind of old school. But you see it everywhere in the scripture. In fact, in fact, one of the greatest things that could happen to a man was one of the worst things we did a study on Boaz a while back Boaz was probably, you know, in his 40s, didn't have a wife. <clears throat> you don't have a wife, you don't have kids, because they didn't, they didn't do this uh, live-together stuff. And, and it, was really, it was really an issue. He was missing the blessing of God, 127 of Psalm talks about, of Psalms, talks about the importance of family. It talks about the importance, it, it, and once again, I mean, we, we scoff at this stuff. Um, flip over there just real quickly to Psalm 127. This is, this is what a man should desire. I said to my boys, to John and Josh, when they were coming up in the teenage years, you know, through college, I told him, I said, "Look, you don't need a girlfriend. You need a wife. And why would you go out with a girl? And why would you just hang? But well, you don't need to be hanging around. Just hang out. Go hang out with a girl. Why would you do that? You, 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 you want to be looking, and you, and, and there ought to be a filter. There ought to be a filter that you're going to spend time with a girl, and and." And you know, these, these young guys don't need these serious relationships where they're always with these girls. That's, that's not a real good thing. Uh, young men need to be in the presence of men and males, helps, helps them realize what male responsibility is, is all about. And I know what I'm saying here is what, I mean, I'm just off the map here. I understand that. A lot of Christians would question what I'm saying. But um, the problem is men are not with men. Young men are not with older men. The older men are to teach the younger men. You don't see a lot of guys in Scripture who are used by God hanging out with girls when they were 14, do you? They were with, they were with older men. They were working. They were being productive. They were learning how to be a man. So what I said to my boys is, look, you don't need a girlfriend. You need a wife. And you get around girls, you look for character. You're, lo- you're looking to marry somebody and settle down for the next 70 years. So you're looking for character. They're going to they're be the mother of your kids. You want a t- Psalm 127 situation. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. We think, it's, we think it's an inconvenience and something to be avoided. We don't want kids in this culture. What we want is an easy, cush life with two incomes so that you can fly around and take all these vacations at Club Med or whatever you do. But you don't want kids. Kids are a pain in the uh, wallet. <laughs> Which is next to the other part. <laughs> Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You have kids, and what you do, you shoot those kids into the next generation. And they've been given a godly heritage and a godly home. doesn't mean your kids are going to do it exactly right and on the time schedule you want them to. But that's what they need to be seen. you got a mom and a dad, and you're committed. Committed no matter what comes. You have kids. Mary's 11-year-old V.W. Pizat went down this week. And I put enough money into that sucker so we, we had to go get another car. And uh, we took it to the Rangers game Monday night with my three kids and their spouses. And we're standing around and I said, hey, I've got to show you this car, Mary's car. And I'm showing them, you know, and I said, hey, you know what's neat about this car? You can put three car seats in the back seat. <laughs> They had a car that had two car seats. We didn't get that. Three car seats. Put three more kids on the rack. (laughs) You get married, you have kids. It's good. It's a manly thing. Not to live with some chick. Not to avoid responsibility. You get married. You go to work. You pay your bills. You pay your taxes. You get pains in your chest. You can't breathe. It's manly. You buy your daughter a horse <laughs> You don't throw away your clippings Because you've got to feed that chump that, that in Clydesdale, David All right Act like men We were talking about this last week i give you the definition of what it means Act like men Andrizomai is the Greek term I want to go over this again with you Because we're going to keep referring to it tonight. Andrisomai is a frequent command in the Septuagint. What's the Septuagint? It's the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, but most of the guys at this time didn't know Hebrew, so they took the Old Testament, translated it into Greek, so they could understand it. Most of us don't know Hebrew, so they've taken the Old Testament and translated it into English, so we can understand it. Well, they just put it into Greek, so these guys can understand it, because they read Greek. That's the Septuagint. Old Testament... Translated in the Greek. Uh, resume is a frequent command translated act like men in the Septuagint used in context of encouraging people especially soldiers to act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord and with confidence in His power. If you don't have confidence in the power of God if you don't have confidence that God's power trumps every other power in the world you are in a heap of trouble. And, and, and I don't have any good news for you. If, if you don't have confidence in his power, if you think something can cancel out the power of God, it's all over. But nothing can cancel out the power of God. His arm is not too short that it cannot save. That's the good news. And it's really the only good news that we need. And we live off that good news. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, the book of Judges again tonight. I want to look in Judges. Judges is very similar to our day. Because in the book of Judges, it was a time of rapid and accelerated spiritual decline. They had lost their reference point. They had it in the previous book, which was the book of Joshua. Joshua was leading them. They had come out. If you know your Old Testament history, they had come out of Egypt. They were in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves. Moses brings them out. You know the Red Sea and the ten plagues that came upon them. They are going to the promised, what? Land. All right? They're going into the promised land. The promised land is inhabited by all the ites. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites. All these ites are in the land. They're very strong civilizations. They're very advanced civilizations. They have... uh, they're very strong economically, military uh, fortresses around walls around the city. They're um, they're way, way, way superior to this wandering tra- tribe of Israelites that's been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of the unbelief of 10 out of the 12 spies. The, the leadership is transferred from Moses to Joshua. Joshua takes them in. Uh, after 40 years of wandering, and they begin to take these different ites on, and God goes ahead of them, and God gives them victory, and they take the land. They don't drive them all out. They take most of them out. At the end of his life, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And they all said, yeah, yeah, we're all for that. But actually they weren't, because, you see, it's easy to say that externally, but their hearts weren't in it. And so after Joshua died, they begin to spin off they lost their reference point. They got away from the word of God. They got away from the God of Israel who had led them out and provided for them for 40 years. They never missed a meal. Their sandals never wore out for 40 years. He took care of them. But did they trust in him? No, they turned to the other gods. So they lost their reference point and they began a series of downward spirals. So the book of Judges comes in between Joshua and then in between First Samuel. Samuel was the last judge. And then he kicked in the monarchy where now they're going to have a king, Saul, David, Solomon, etc. Okay, But the book of Judges is a bad news time. It's a time of spiritual decline. It gets worse and worse and worse. They go through these cycles. Uh, The two judges that get the most print, the two judges that get the most attention are Samson. Remember Samson? He was a judge. The idea of judge in that book of Judges means deliverer. So Samson, and then the other one who gets the most print, is Gideon. Gideon is an interesting guy. Because when we talk about acting like a man, when we are first introduced to Gideon, he's not acting like a man. He's not acting Andrisomai. What is Andrisomai? It's used in encouraging people, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength and obedience to the Lord and with confidence in His power. That's not what we're going to see when we first are introduced to Gideon. Uh, Judges chapter 6, if you would. Oh, but here's the good news. He changed. And we'll see some growth almost immediately in his life. The good news about, about this whole thing of men being confused and young men being confused, is that it can be turned pretty quickly. All it takes is seeing the real deal. All it takes is seeing the real thing. Um, in... in uh, what was that called? Cybervision? I can't... I, I didn't plan on saying this. In, in the 70s, a guy came out with a series of... Uh, Motivational tapes and uh, cybernetics, cybernetics, but that's I I know about cybernetics, that's not quite it. This guy had a little different twist. It was on on, if you want to be a good golfer, if you want to be a good bowler, they had one on bowling, and what they would do, they would show you uh, some, you know, excellent professional bowler. And what they would do, they would break down his approach and his delivery into, into certain key steps. And what you'd do is, you'd watch the, the video, and you'd watch it, and you'd watch it. And then the thing they would suggest is, as soon as you watch it, you go down to the bowling alley and you emulate what you saw. You see? Um, how, how, how does he take his steps? How does he, what does he do with his elbow? What? You know all that kind of stuff. When you watch a master at work and you emulate him, you're going to get a similar result. Not exactly the same because there's a lot of years of practice that goes into this. But, but that's the concept. That is the concept. So young men can turn. Older men can turn. We're going to see here an older guy that was on the wrong course that, is, that, is, that turns on a dime and stands up for the Lord. Well, let me quit talking about it and let's read it. Let's go to Judges chapter 6. I want to make some observations out of this passage tonight. I want to make five observations out of Judges 6 about acting like men. The first observation of, is this. In Judges 6, we're going to see the consequences of national disobedience. The consequences of national disobedience. And as you read this about Israel, apply it to where we are. Because there, there are consequences to disobedience. All right, for a nation. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Uh, The Midianite, Midian was one of the sons of Abraham through a concubine. All right, he had other sons that are not as familiar. uh, Abraham, Isaac. He also had Ishmael, the first guy, when he tried to help the Lord out. Remember that? The Lord made him a promise. I'm going to give you a son. But now he's putting in 100, and Sarah's getting up, you know, close to 90. Um, they're, They're at least in their 90s and 80s, something like this. And he thinks he's got to help the Lord out. Why? Because when you're that old, God had made them a promise. See, sometimes we think, sometimes God makes a promise, and we look around and we say, that is absolutely impossible. So what does he do? He and his wife decide, well, there's a custom that, you know, we, obviously this is not going to happen with us. This must be a, some kind of metaphorical promise, some metaphysical promise. So I'm going to have you go into my handmaiden. And he does, Hagar. So she has a child by the name of Ishmael, a boy by the name of Ishmael. Uh, you know this whole Jewish-Arab thing that's going on? Have you read about this at all? <laughs> yeah. You read about it every day. Every day you read about it. Don't you? Every day you read about it. You know where this all goes back to? It goes back to Abraham not believing that God can come through with a promise in an impossible situation. So he's going to help the Lord out. So he goes into this handmaiden named Hagar, and she has a son by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. But if he had awaited, God did something miraculous. Because you see, nothing is too hard for the Lord nothing see here's the thing about God God loves to put his men in impossible situations so how do you know it read the Bible God is always putting men in impossible situations where, there, where there's no way there's just absolutely no way well there was a way and so what happens well after Ishmael and he helps the Lord out here comes, she gets pregnant. That's unbelievable, because that, 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 that's impossible at that age. No, it's not impossible, because God is God. God has all power. God can do whatever he wants. And he did it, and in their old, old age, at 190, what happens? He's 100, she's 90, what happens? They have a baby. Oh, Midian was the son of Abraham through one of his concubines. And so the Midianites, his descendants, were always enemies of the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now I want to show you how these Midianites just absolutely plagued the people of Israel in the promised land. All right? The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate. What would happen is the Midianites... Came in as a judgment of God upon the people of Israel who had turned away from the living God. You say, How do you know they turned away from the living God? Well, if you look down at verse 10, the prophet says, The Lord says, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. The reason that these Midianites were coming in, and this was happening year after year after year. By the way, they had taken. <laughs> this is wild. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, God said to the people of Israel, before they were in the Promised Land, He says, I'm going to take you into the Promised Land, and I'm going to give you... In fact, I'm going to have you turn to this, because you can't miss this. Keep Keep your hand here. This is called Bible study, is it not? Okay, well, let's study the Bible. Then you want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to show this to you. In Deuteronomy 6, very familiar words, uh... In Deuteronomy, he's talking to, they're getting ready to go into the land after 40 years of waiting. Why were they waiting? Because of the unbelief of the 10 spies. Joshua and Caleb believed God, the other 10 guys didn't, so they had to wander in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready to go in. And God says to them in 6.1, This is the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you might do them in the land which you are going over to possess so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Then in verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. That means you don't go after the other idols. <coughs> Excuse me. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. God's giving them instruction as that. See, when you, when you instruct your sons, you're instructing your sons just like the book of Proverbs is a father instructing his sons. Fathers are connected to their sons. Grandpas are connected to their sons. Because if you notice in the early part of six, it says so that you and your son and your grandson shall fear the Lord. Our responsibilities are not done when we raise our boys. If you've got grandsons around, granddaughters, take advantage of them. Okay? Don't check out. Don't get on Winnebago and do laps around America. Not all the time. Especially with gas, the price it is now. And just wait till the summer. You want to be plugged into these grandkids. Very important. Okay. Well, I see them doing it on By the way, Deuteronomy 6 is not addressed to mothers or grandmas. It's addressed to the men. Because we're called to be the spiritual leaders. 10. It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. and get, Get this now. Get this. These people had nothing. They've been wandering for 40 years. All right? It shall come out when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. That's a deal, isn't it? I'm going to give you cities you didn't build. That's not a bad deal. You remember when they designed Las Colinas? I feel like somebody said, hey, you know, I'm going to give you Las Colinas. It's got the canals, it's got the monorails, it's got it, you know, it's all finished, it's all complete. I'm gonna give it to you. Just give it to you. That's some old rundown thing. I'm gonna give you something. It's it's an incredible city. I'm gonna give you cities you did not build. I'm gonna give you houses full of all the good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig. That's how they would get water. They would hewn cisterns two, three, four hundred feet deep. And they would capture rainwater. I'm gonna give you vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and you'll be eat and be satisfied. When I give it to you, watch this. He says, when I give you all this stuff, and he gave that to him in the book of Joshua. All right? So they had it in the even in the previous book. He says, when I give it to you, verse 12, watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of peoples that surround you. That's what they did in Judges. This is why they're in a heap of trouble in Judges chapter 6. This is why the Midianites are coming in to judge them. And, and are they living in these cities? Are they living in their houses full of stuff they didn't put in there? They just took? Are they got their vineyards and their olive gardens and all this stuff? Are they, are they enjoying No. You know where they are? They're hiding out in the caves. And when they do plant, guess who comes in as soon as they plant and it starts to get ready for harvest? Here comes the Midianites. And the Midianites take all their produce and take all their crops. And they do it year after year after year. That's the kind of deal you don't want. And you know why they were in it? Because they brought it on themselves. Can I give you uh, something I'm starting to pick up out of the scriptures? Obey God. I'm trying to work on this. If it comes down to obeying or disobeying... I'm starting to be swayed (laughs) that it makes more sense to obey. It just does. It's smarter. Everything that happened in Judges 6, they brought on themselves. Listen to uh, what Leon Wood says. I've got to read this to you. It's good. Because he's talking about Judges 6 and the trouble they're in. He said a new secret weapon was employed in these forays with the use of the camel. And in, these, in this chapter, there is the first documentation of the large-scale use of this animal in a military campaign. It gave the Midianites and their alleys an immense advantage of, speedy long-range fighting, uh, uh, of a speedy long-range fighting force, and it's clear that the use of this angular and imposing beast struck terror in the hearts of the Israelites. The camel, I mean, it was like Delta Force coming in. They come in with these camels. You know, those suckers are big, they're fast. They don't need hardly any water. And they just come in. And they come in and, and, and by the way, look at, uh, look at uh, you and Judges. Look at Judges um, 7, verse 12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I mean, and these, and these Jews are hiding in the caves. Okay? And if you look at 8.10 of Judges, you'll find out that the entire army of the Midianites, the Amalekites that was swinging in there, there hundred 135,000 of them. 135,000. It was overwhelming. Okay? So it's not a good time to be alive in Israel. It's not a good time to be in the Promised Land. Why? The land was taken away from them. Why? Because of their disobedience. Um, Leon Wood goes on and says, "This invasion appears to have been an annual event." When I think of annual events, I think of like Christmas. <laughs> I think like high school graduation, Easter, um, World Series, Tax Day. Tax day. <laughs> I try to forget that as an annual event. Back, f- yeah, actually a quarterly event. I mean, when I, when you get down to it. But anyway, yeah, there are some annual events. This is an annual event they didn't want. What was an annual event? The Midianite invasion <laughs> had become an annual event. During the seven years of the Midianite oppression, and in an typically nomadic style, the invaders, with their cattle and their tents, it's verse 5, would live off the land. They were compared to locusts because of the absolute devastation of the rapacious hordes as they moved from one area to another. The cumulative effect of these raids would be considerable. Think about this. All agriculture would be affected, and the plundering of Israel's herds, crops, and fruits would make for long, lean winters. Moreover, it was unsafe to dwell in open villages or even towns, the natural targets of an attacker seeking supplies or plunder. So the Israelites were forced into a primitive existence in the inaccessible mountainous regions. These guys were living like Osama bin Laden up in the caves of Afghanistan. Oh, and by the way, God had given them the whole land. He'd given them houses and cities and vineyards and orchards. He'd given it to them and they lost it. Why? Because of disobedience. So they're in trouble. Okay? By the way, if you were pondering in your heart Doing something that you know God does not want you to do. I might make a suggestion. Learn from this. It it never works. It never works. How many guys have I seen? Walking away from their wives. Walking away from their kids and their grandkids. Guys who have been leaders in the church. Guys in their 50s and 60s. I remember talking to a guy. I was a young pastor. Talking to a guy, big guy in California. Had a Christian camp. Ran it. He was a pillar of the church. Pillar of the community. And I'm meeting with him in my office. Why was I meeting with him? His family asked me to meet with him. Because uh, he was abandoning his wife of 40 years. and His, his kids were, were ashamed and embarrassed. He, uh, he was hanging out with some 21, 22-year-old girl he'd hired as a counselor at his camp. And I remember talking to the guy in my office. And He was slick and he knew the scriptures. He'd been a Bible teacher. And he's throwing out all the rationalizations and all the excuses and all this. And at a certain point, I remember he, he just kind of got tired of giving. You know, the key. he, he. he I just kept kind of probing him, and he didn't like it. And at a certain point, he just put his fist down on the table on my desk. And he looked at me. He said, "Don't I have a right to be happy?" I said, "What about your wife? For Forty years you're thrown away like a dish rag. What about her? Does she have a right to be happy?" He didn't like that. <laughs> Sucker was mowing his lawn about four months later. Died, just dropped over dead. Yeah. Hard to keep up with those 21-year-old chicks when you're 68 and 50 pounds overweight. That sucker couldn't handle her. Okay. Note, uh, now we're going to meet Gideon. So it's a bad time. Would you agree it's a bad time in Israel? All right, now watch what's going to happen. Verse 11. Now we're going to meet Gideon. Then the angel of the Lord came. And by the way, what's needed in a situation like this where there's absolute chaos? What is is needed when there's spiritual chaos, when, when the Lord has been forgotten, when there is no fear of the Lord, when there is no wisdom, when there is no spiritual leadership? What is needed? You need spiritual leadership. You need a man to stand up and stand in the gap. You need a man to stand up and follow Christ. That's what's needed. When one guy stands up and follows Christ, there's going to be a bunch right there with him. But they're always waiting on one guy to do it first. Now watch what's going to happen. Verse 11. So in this bad setting, then the angel of the Lord came and said under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abbi Ezrite, as his son Gideon, here's Gideon now, was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, we can't miss this. You can't fly over this. Normally, you beat out wheat outside in a wheat field. Uh, what you do is you separate the chaff from the wheat. It's not something you do inside, it's something you do outside. And the wind works with you, and you take you know, that uh, you take that, that, the, the, those stalks of grain and you kind of winnow them. And the wheat and the chaff separate. But he's not doing that the normal way out in the open in daylight. What is he doing? It says he was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. In other words, this guy's not out in the open, He's in their cave or their little fortification where they're hiding out and he's doing it not publicly, he's doing it privately because he doesn't want the Midianites coming and taking what wheat he was able to salvage that they hadn't already taken. So it's not a good situation, is it? It's not good at all. They're all intimidated. Gideon's intimidated. He's not a great commander here. It's somewhat cowardly. But he's just one of the guys and it's the condition of the men in the nation of Israel. But the angel of the Lord shows up. And in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I mentioned this last week. Is this guy a valiant warrior? No. He's a young guy hiding out from the Midianites, back where the wine press is, trying to beat out a little bit of wheat so that they don't come and steal it from him. He's not a valiant warrior. But God's going to make him a valiant warrior. See, this is what God does in our lives. We're failures. We, we, hey, we all have things in our life we wish we could go back and change. We have all done cowardly things. We have all done foolish things. You, you can be a, a brave guy in a battlefield and be a coward in a family. We, we've all done things we're, we're ashamed of. Man, I wish I could go, go back and get that one back. I wish I could redo that one. You see? So, so what does the Lord do? The, the Lord comes into our lives and what He takes is... He take, we're sinners, we're flawed, we're broken men. He comes, we, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So when He comes in, He comes into our lives, He brings us... He brings us to Christ. Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and appointed you, that you might bear fruit, and that your fruit may remain. The disciples didn't seek Christ, Christ sought the disciples. The angel of the Lord comes to Him. He didn't come to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, Christ seeks us out. He comes after us. We're not going after him. So he comes and what he does is he gives us a new heart. He regenerates us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to the high calling. See, he makes us into what we never were. He makes us into sons of God. That's what he's doing with this guy. So don't let the enemy get you spending a lot of your time thinking about what you used to be like. That's a waste of time. That'll paralyze you. It's called vain regrets. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Lord is with you, a valiant warrior. Well, he's not a valiant warrior now, but he's going to turn him into a valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why why have all these things happened to us? Because, he said, we're all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? So he knew the stories. He knew about Moses. He knew about Joshua. And he's a young guy, and he said, Why hasn't the Lord intervened for us? Why hasn't the Lord do something? Well, the Lord's getting ready to do something. The Lord says to him in verse 14, The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Now catch that right there, because you could fly right over that. Do you realize what's just happened? God has called this guy like he called Moses. You remember Moses was, was hanging out in the desert for 40 years? He tried to pull off the Exodus because Moses. Do I have 15 minutes? Is that is is that clock right? That clock is not. There's no way. I don't believe that clock. That clock is has no reference point. <laughs> that clock has lost its way. Or actually I have lost my way. Moses uh, had a shot to deliver the children of Israel. Because he was raised in Pharaoh's household. If you remember those providential events. He tried to pull off the Exodus right around the age of 40, according to Acts 6. He killed the Egyptian who was beating up the Israeli slave. And he thought the people would understand that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. And so Moses had to go on the run for 40 years. Oh, by the way, where did he go? Anybody know? I think he went to Midian. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? He was there 40 years. One day he sees this bush and the bush is burning, and not being consumed. And God says, I want you to go back and deliver my people. And Moses said, sure, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that. I'm a little bored out here. <laughs> Is that what he said? There's no way he wanted to do that. Are you ca- no, I can't talk. I can't. You know, he starts playing Barney Fife. Oh, I can't do any of that. I mean, who am I? He actually was a very gifted man. If you read Acts chapter 6, what Stephen had to say about him. He was educated in he, he, he was he was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. Flavius Josephus says that he was a military hero before he was forty. Yeah. Saved the Egyptian city of Memphis from the Kushites. But he had lost all his confidence. That's kind of what's happened here with this guy. Now I gotta I gotta move. And, and he can't believe what the angel of the Lord said to him. He said in verse 15, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in all my father's house. I'm the least likely guy to do this. But verse 16, but the Lord said to him, and this is what the Lord said to Moses, by the way, and it's what the Lord said to Joshua. Watch this. Surely I will be what, with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. He goes on and he says, hey, if I found favor, show me a sign. So basically what the angel of the Lord says is, uh, go prepare a meal and get some meat and some flour and put it on the rocks. If you look at uh, verse 20, and he did so. The angel of the Lord put the end of the staff and 21 that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And he got very concerned because he knew he was in the presence of God. He was very concerned. And then he builds an altar. The Lord said to him in 23, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. He knew he was on holy ground, you see. Now, man, I'm going to have to helicopter this story. What you've got in 6.16, what we have just read, is really the calling of a young coward. And then beginning in 25, what you've got is his first step of obedience. And what the Lord tells him to do is that, you know, before the guy can save the nation, before before you can do something in the nation, you've got to take care of your family first. If, If there's sin in the nation, and you've got sin in your family, you can't go... Help the nation until you've taken care of your own stuff. Uh, on the same night, verse 25, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bowl and a second bowl, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah, the pole that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bowl and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. But it was a first step of obedience, even though he was still scared. Okay? It was a good step. Did he tear down the altar of Baal? Yeah, he did. Okay. 28. What happens now, now you've got all the men in the city upset. Hey, who, who pulled down this author? Well, when ten guys help him, ten guys can't keep a secret. So everybody knows Gideon did. Now watch what happens, though. So they come to his father in 29, who did this thing, and they say Joash, uh, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Verse 30, Then the men of the city said to Joash, his father, Bring out your son that he may die, for he's torn down the altar of Baal. Whose altar was it? His dad's altar. All right, now watch what his dad does. 31, Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver him? And basically what he says as you read the verse, why don't you let Baal contend for himself? He's such a great God, can't Baal defend himself? You know what's interesting? Here's what's interesting. This father is suddenly influenced by the example of his son standing up for the Lord God of Israel. His father was going along with the crowd like everybody else. He was cowardly, he was afraid, he was going with the flow. But his boy stands up, does what's right, these men come and want to take his boy's life, and the father stands up and basically sides with the son and sides with the Lord God of Israel and says, if your God is all that powerful, why can't he defend himself? He doesn't need you to do it. Isn't that interesting? It just takes one guy to take a stand, and the others, who, have, who, who know in their heart it's wrong, they'll be right there, but it takes one guy to step out. That's masculinity. See, it's easy to be passive. But it takes one guy to take initiative to take the first step. That takes courage, doesn't it? You guys still with me? See, when we get feminized, we get passive because we don't want to get hurt. We were talking last week about feminization. If you instill in a young boy the fear of getting hurt, it's hard for him to function as a man because it's the job of men to get hurt. Isn't it? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the job of a husband is not in the family to get his needs met. The job of a husband is to take the blows, to provide, to protect, and make sure others get their needs met. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Husbands, fathers, grandfathers were the family pastors. We're not there for what we can get out of it. We're there for what we can give and provide. Right? Okay. Well, my wife's put on weight. Well, look in the mirror, pal. You don't look that great yourself. We all got our issues, right? Okay. Okay. I got to keep moving. Look at. uh, Now, did I tell you I had five? Uh, The defense of the Father is number four. That's in chapter 6, verse 30. His son influenced him to follow the Lord. Now, I want you to note number five. Have I confused you guys because I didn't give you all the numbers? Let me give them to you because I don't want you to have trouble not being able to sleep tonight because of lack of closure in your life. The first one. The first one is the consequences of national disobedience. The secondly is the calling of a young coward. Number three is the first steps of obedience. Number four is the defense of a father. Number five is Gideon's obedience to a strange command. And I'm going to tell you something, God works strangely. There are three ways God works in a man's life. Number one, God works providentially in every detail of a man's life. Number two, God works strangely in our lives. And number three, God tends to work slowly. Three general principles, how God works in our lives. If Huh? God works providentially. You want the five or the three? I'm just here to confuse. I'm here to create tension. You want the five? Okay. Here's number one. Consequences of, natural, of national diso- disobedience. That's in verses one through six the calling of a young coward that's 616 okay then you get to 625 that's number 3 and that's his first step of obedience pulling down the veil then number 4 is in 630 the defense of a father and now in chapter 7 we're going to see Gideon's obedience to a strange command you know Gideon put out a fleece asked the lord to show him a sign Okay, I'm skipping all that. I want to get down to seven. When What, what happens is, is that the Spirit of the Lord, in verse 34 of 6, comes upon Gideon. And suddenly, all these people realize that this young guy who pulled down the Baal, that he's right. And they start following his leadership, and he's anointed by the Lord. And what happens as a result of that is that the tribes, you'll read about it in 35... Uh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, they come to meet him. So you get down to seven, and in seven, you've got Gideon and the people camped at the spring of Herod, which you can visit today. That spring is still there. There's a park. There are swings and monkey bars and a concession stand about 80 yards away and park benches from the spring, and it's still bubbling up, where this all occurred. It's pretty wild. Have swings and a cushion playground and the kids can drive That's from last week. Wear their helmets for their tricycles. If you weren't here, you wouldn't get that. It's alright. They don't have cushion playgrounds in Israel. They don't do that. So so the enemy is camped over there, alright? Uh, The camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. So when you go to the spring at Herod today, if you go to Israel with Chuck, they'll show you the spring and you can see out there where the Midianites were. And they're at the spring of Herod. Okay? Okay. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now let's check this out. Because if you read the rest of the verses... What happens is, is, that, is that 32,000 men have suddenly gathered and followed Gideon's leadership because he stood up. One guy stands up, and suddenly from the other tribes, he's got 32,000 men. Okay, that's great, is it not? Because up until now, they couldn't get six guys for a pancake breakfast on Saturday morning. Okay? They just couldn't do it. Now they got 32,000. That's encouraging. Pumps everybody up. They all had their little wristbands, you know. It's a little promise keepers joke. Okay. It's fun to get thousands and thousands of guys together, isn't it? Isn't that great? Man, great, you know, 40,000, 60,000, They had 32,000 guys. They had nothing just a few days before. They got 32,000. But here's a problem the Midianites have got 135,000. Okay? But still, 32,000 is good. What does the Lord say? And I'm sure they're just pumped. We got 32,000 guys. So, what does the Lord say? He says, Hey, Gideon, you got too many guys. Run that by me one more time. You got too many guys. Because if you go win that battle with 32,000 guys, my name will not be honored. So, what I want you to do, (laughs) once again, God loves the impossible. God not only loves the impossible, God loves to put his men who are serious about following him into impossible situations. Oh yeah. A lot of you guys in here tonight find yourself in somewhat of an impossible situation. You've been looking around at your options and you're trying to figure your way out of this thing. And you had a couple, three options and they have shriveled up. And you're going, you know, now, now we're really at impossible. And you're kind of worried and you wonder if the Lord's you know, against you because of something you did in your past. No, no, you're, you're, on, you're, you're right where you need to be. You're good. This is what God does with the men. He puts them in impossible situations. I got a question for you. Any of you guys ever been in your life in an impossible situation? Anybody? And you saw no way out. I got a question. Did God get you out of it? Let me see your hand if he did. Did he deliver you? How many of you guys? That's happened to you more than once. Okay. He's got thirty-two thousand, and the Lord says in verse three: Now therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, "Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead." So twenty-two thousand returned, but ten thousand remained. Is that not wild? God did not want the fearful to be a part of the group. Flip over to Deuteronomy, what is it, 20? Let me subtly look at my notes. Look at Deuteronomy 20 verse eight. It's pretty normal if you're going into battle to have some fear, right? But look it, if you don't have fear going into battle, there's something wrong with you. But here's the difference. God did not want them dominated by their fear of man. God wanted them dominated by fear of Him. The fear of the Lord is beginning to wisdom. The fear of the Lord is beginning to knowledge. The fear of the Lord is clean, the Bible says. Fourteen times the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. You need to have a greater fear of God than you do of man. Because God has greater power than all men. Does He not? Yes, He does. Now watch this. Look at Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. There were some exemptions. In verse 7, If you're engaged to a woman and not married her, let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the battle and another man would marry her. Verse 8, The officer shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's heart melt like his heart. Fear is epidemic. Fear is a virus. Fear is contagious. And a fearful man who is not trusting in the Lord God of Israel can influence another man and make his heart fearful and suddenly you got a bunch of fearful people check out, what is it? Numbers 13, the 12 spies 10 of them said they all said it's a great land but we can't take these guys the giants are too powerful for us although God just delivered them in the Red Sea took them through 10 plagues got them out of Pharaoh's Egypt and they say we can't take these guys and the fear of the 10 spread through the camp did it not? yes it did This is why God's saying to them in the book of Judges, hey, if you guys are fearful, you're panicky, you don't think I can do it, take a hike. 22,000 leave. And see, the issue, go back earlier in 20, uh, verse 1. Once again, this is called Bible study. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, what do we do when we see the odds against us? What do we do when we see impossible situations? What do we do when we need a job and we can't find a job? And there's all these other people who are more qualified and have more you know, in connection with others. What do we do? We get worried. We get fearful. We get anxious. Oh, I'm not going to make it. God's not going to take care of me. I don't see how I'm going to make it. It's normal. It's natural. Is it not? Here it is. When you go out to battle against your enemies, see horses, chariots, people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt watch this, is with you. 300 times in the Bible, it says, fear not. 300 times. Or if your translation says, don't be afraid, it'll say it 300 times. Why? The Lord is with you. When you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to... Save you. Isaiah 41. Uh, so I got a question. Right now, as you're sitting here, what's your greatest fear? In your heart, just answer it. You know what it is. What's your greatest fear right now? What is it that's making you anxious? What is it, what, what is it that keeps you up at night? What's your greatest fear? You know, just, just think about it a little bit, articulate it in your heart. And as you're doing that, Let's go to Isaiah 41, where you have the same concept. Isaiah 41.10. It might be your career, you don't have a job, it might be your health, it might be this, it might be, you know, where's this country going politically? How you? Okay, all right. Watch this. Do not fear. Why shouldn't I fear? For I am what? With you. That's all you got to know. Is he with me? If he's with you, you're okay because of who he is. He's not just some made-up God out of a totem pole. Or some Asherah. He's the Lord God Almighty. He is the God who is most high. He's not high. He's most high. He trumps them all. That's our God. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. You ever do that? Man, how do I... You get scared? Yeah, we all get scared. He didn't want us walking scared. He doesn't want us running scared. Do not anxiously look about you. Why? I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look down at verse 12, second part. Those who were with you will be as nothing and non-existent. See, that's the fear of man. Oh, these guys are against me. This guy's against me. This executive vice president. He's going to you know, shoot down my career. Listen, God runs that sucker. He runs him. Yeah, he has got a key to the executive washroom. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. Why? Because of 42.5 of Isaiah. Look at that. This says, God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. These people that we fear, these circumstances, these political situations, the nations, our job, the economy, oh, these guys are making these decisions that are going to affect me. God runs them. He runs them. He owns them. And I want to say this. Okay? It's easy to say amen. But where this is to be lived out is when you get up in the morning and fear's got you by the throat. You see, that's where we've got to apply it. I'm glad, you know, it's okay. I'm, good. I'm, just, I'm just saying, this has got to be lived out. It's got to be lived out under pressure. Under pressure when the odds are against you. When you are absolutely overwhelmed and you look around and you are in an impossible situation. So how do you act like a man? And oh my. It's the courage. It's, it's encouraging people, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength. Watch this in obedience to the Lord. Wherever you are right now, obey Him. Obey him. Don't rationalize sin. Don't touch sin with a ten-foot with a pole. Don't be missing around. Deal with the stuff. Quit hiding it. Bring it out in the open. Bring it to the light. You having trouble with habitual sin with pornography? Talk to a guy, talk to a pastor you can trust and say, hey man, I'm dealing with this. They're not going to shame you, they're not going to throw you out, they're going to embrace you. Some sins you can't break by yourself. Confess your sin one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, that's how it works, guys. We're not in this by ourselves. Now, now listen, it's stacked with courage and strength and obedience to the Lord, watch this, and with confidence in His power. These guys had all these camels. These these guys had the, they were outnumbered, they were outflanked, they were outcameled. (laughs) And that's not a big deal to us. It was huge to them. But you see, how do we fight off fear and how do we fight off worry? How do we act like men when, when men's hearts are failing them in this day and age? How do we do it? How do we do it? You have confidence in his power, in his power. Wherever you are, you know what? Wherever you are, he can deliver you. Wherever you are, he can make a way. And when he does it, you know what happens? Your name is honored. I, w- I want to say this as I end this. We're living in tough times. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're going to get tougher. I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I, I mean, I just read my Bible, and I think times are going to get worse. Um, but I don't fear. I don't have to fear. I can't spend all my time listening to talk radio because it's just going to mess me up. I've got to spend time on the Word of God and I've got to spend time on the power of God and the sovereignty of God and the fact that God has a plan and the fact that God has all power and God takes care of His people. You know what that does? It gives me a confidence that He's going to make a way. I want to tell you something. I'll say this to you. I really didn't want to come here tonight and I'll tell you why. Because I was discouraged all afternoon. I mean, I flat out did not want to come. And I showed up here and I asked the Lord all the way driving over. Lord, you got to help me because I got this stuff on paper, but I don't have it in my heart. I'm not quite there. Because for some reason, he keeps squeezing me. He keeps squeezing me in some areas. And, and you know what? I get tired of it. I I do. I get tired of being squeezed, and I get tired of him taking certain things away that I like having in my life. But the reason he takes them away is that when he takes them away, you see, i got to trust him. But I really like having them there. And when they're taken away, then I wonder, well, how the heck is this going to work And I start thinking, well, now if I do this and this and this, and i got to use my head and do what I can do. But see, I've been doing that, and a couple of those things, I really had a good plan laid out, they haven't worked. Isn't that wild? But he keeps making a way. He just keeps doing it. And he wants me to keep trusting in his power. How many times have I seen him come through? A whole bunch. Why would he stop now? Well, by the way, when I get my feet on the ground and trust him, I'm a lot more stable in my home. I'm not as irritable, and there's a lot more peace and joy because I'm on solid ground. Am I making sense? And that's my job, is to act like a man in my home. Not walk around fearful. And it's yours. But I can only do that as I am planted on the foundation of Christ and his power. Am I making sense? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you're there. You really are there. Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you take something away, you're just taking us to the next level of trust. We want to be, uh, we want to be comfortable. You want us mature. You want us to grow up just like we want our kids to grow up. You want us to act like men. So oftentimes, Lord, you'll interrupt our plans and you'll inconvenience us and at times bring anxiety into our lives and impossible situations because you're testing our hearts to see if we will trust. Help us, Lord, to get all in with you. To get all in. To put all our chips in. Say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm with you. You've got my whole heart. I trust you with my whole life. You honor that, Lord. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that you may strongly support them. Thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.